Can y'all hear me now? And we can hear you. Um, you you weren't playing music awesome. to begin it. No, I was. I was. I was playing music, but I didn't realize that uh, that um, uh, my Chrome wasn't connected to the uh, Yeti mic for whatever reason. <laughs> That's my fault, guys. Oh. Yeah, it, Eric, if you could check me on WESN, that'd be great. I see. I can do. Kind of trying something out here and then i'm getting the facebook feed started and then we're gonna get into it and i think i got a really good show a lot of information uh so if it overwhelms you i apologize <laughs> fucking amateurs fuck you <laughs> that's funny give me one second to start the facebook up um well, what else you got going on eric um not, nothing new today i mean you know and it, it kind of feels weird not having John Gale on five days a week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, did you check me on WESN? I'm checking it right now. All right. And I, hopefully it's working good. It should be. I see the sound meter moving when I talk, so I'm assuming it is. It is. Awesome. So, uh, let me get the Facebook thing going. There we go. All right. Uh, so today I'm going to talk about the economy. But I saw the other day that Russia did officially go back on a gold standard or something similar. They pegged their currency to gold. And I believe they pegged it around 5,000 rubles for one gram. So for those of you that don't know, there's no countries that are on the gold standard anymore. I believe Switzerland was the last to go off it around 20 years ago. Now, the U.S. went off the gold standard domestically and you know primarily in 1933. But in 1971, under Nixon, it completely severed ties with any kind of uh, gold-backed currency, especially in with uh, international transactions. The reason for this, or a lot of the reason for this move in 1971 was because of the oil crisis and to help combat inflation. So I've read, I couldn't even tell you how many articles I've read the last two days regarding this, but I saw one analysis that was pretty good until I got to one of the statements it made saying that they believed other countries were going to follow suit going back on the gold standard, and that's not going to happen. And I'll tell you why. Because he said that they would be in search for a more stable currency when, in fact, the, the U.S. dollar was actually more unstable when it was on gold. It was more volatile. The other thing is, too, is that being on the gold standard is going to limit any future growth because you have to have the supply of gold before you can, you know, have any more money, right? So that means it's very hard to keep up with an increase in production in the U.S. But what I do want to discuss is not so much the argument on the gold standard. I want to just go over the implications of what, you know, the world economy, how that could be affected by Russia's move to go back on the gold standard. And it's not so much the gold standard. I think people are actually focusing on the fact that, you know, it's pegged to gold when in fact they need to be focused on the fact 
that Russia is playing a chess match and Biden is playing checkers at the moment. Now, I do have complete confidence in the U.S. uh, economists and the people that handle all this. So, you know, we have a very good economy, strong economy. We're, We're fine. But, you know... It's kind of impressive how Leon, I'm not going to accept Collins uh, at the moment. I got a lot to go over here. Uh, it is kind of impressive how Putin is actually turning the sanctions around and utilizing his primary industries that he exports around the world to as leverage. So I believe is what last week or the week before Putin came out and said he's not going to accept. Anything other than the ruble for payment uh, for oil for from unfriendly countries. Well, we know who the unfriendly countries are, right? That's pretty much all of Europe, the United States, and other countries around the world that have condemned Russia's actions with the Ukraine conflict. Russia is, or not Russia, Europe is in a very un- unique predicament here. The United States imports 3% of its crude oil from Russia, but it does import 20% of, um, you know, petroleum products from Russia. And in those petroleum products, they include red diesel, which is farm diesel. And farm diesel, for those of you that don't know, that's what you run in tractors. You don't, you, you don't use it on the road. It's illegal to use it on the road. Farm di- diesel... Uh, you get tax exemptions for it. So it's a little bit cheaper than regular diesel. And, Leon, I'm going to go over the, the wheat, the oil, and the coal. Uh, I'm going to talk about all of it. And it's pretty interesting. And and I'm, then I'm going to do some speculating around it. But I'm going to cover all that. But by accepting the ruble, so we've all heard of the petrodollar. The petro, all the petrodollar is, is it's the U.S. dollar. Right now, the U.S. dollar is the universally accepted currency for foreign oil transactions. So anyone usually wants to do business, they buy oil from, be it Russia, from China, whoever they're exporting or importing oil from, they pay in the U.S. dollar. What that means is that not only is the U.S. dollar backed by consumer confidence and supply and demand, well, but it's also backed by oil, but the supply and demand pays, plays into that oil part too. And... Countries that are importing oil have to have large reserves of the U.S. dollar because it's in demand. This helps the United States maintain a strong currency. What Russia just did, you have to understand, the European Union is the second largest economy in the world. I believe it's still bigger than China's. I could be wrong. China may have surpassed it, but it's either the second or third largest economy in the world. The European Union, which is basically your, you know, take out England. I don't think they're a part of it anymore. Uh, but they, um, you know, all the other countries in Europe there, they are heavily reliant on Russian oil. 40% of their gas comes from Russia and 25% of their crude oil comes from Russia. Now, when I start saying oil from here on out, I'm just generalizing all kinds of gas, oil, and natural gas. So bear with me. But they're heavily reliant on it. That means they have a couple choices. They can either pay for the oil and rubles, they can stop accepting oil and importing oil from Russia, or they can pay for it in gold, basically. But uh, they can't just stop importing. 
And I've read on this, if Europe, not England, so I think England has actually stopped and the United States has stopped importing from Russia. But if Europe as a whole stopped importing uh, oil from Russia, they would have a severe economic decline. And I apologize if I'm kind of stumbling everywhere. This is can get a little bit complicated. And I got a lot of stuff going through my head on this. But they would experience a severe economic decline. So they have to wean themselves off, kind of like a drug addict. But for every bit of oil that they stop importing from Russia, they have to make up that supply. And where are they going to get the supply? Well, the United States could supplement it. They could get it from Saudi Arabia, maybe work out a deal with Venezuela or even Iran. I believe the Iran nuclear deal fell through, so I think Iran's out of the question. I don't know what's going on with Venezuela, but ideally we would think that they would uh, supplement it with American oil. The reason why we um, are, you know, Europe's in a bit of a predicament is because of who we have leading the country, too. Now, the United States is still one of the largest oil producers in the world, but our president isn't ramping production up. He's keeping production where it's at and he's selling from the strategic oil reserves. So when you see, I can't remember the exact amount um, he was selling, but let's say it was a million barrels a day. I think it was something around there. A million barrels a day, barrels a day out of the strategic oil reserves. Part of that has to stay here domestically to feed supply and try and keep prices low. But the rest of that has to go over to Europe. As they slowly try to wean these countries off of Russian oil. In the meantime, they have to pay in rubles. And I guarantee you a lot of these countries, because they accepted U.S. dollars as the petrodollar, they did not have a large supply of rubles. So if they don't have a large supply of rubles, that means they only have one other option, that's to pay in gold. And... That's where this gets really interesting. If you look at the value of the ruble, when all of these sanctions hit Russia immediately, right after they invaded, um, we the ruble crashed. I think it went to somewhere around 120 rubles per dollar. It's back up, I think, around 80 rubles per dollar when it got pegged. So it recovered, what's that, 30% of its value? Uh so not only has the ruble strengthened, but Putin has now increased demand for it. It's not just oil that he said these countries had to pay, uh, pay for in rubles, but any commodity. So it's wheat as well. So uh, let's get on. Let's move on to... Uh, how this is going to infect, uh, impact food, because that's the big part of this. I just said that a lot of the imports from Russia is diesel. We need that for tractors and for agricultural production. Same thing with Europe. The United States may not be as dependent as, and, and we're really not all that dependent on Russian oil, but Europe is, so, and they still farm. 
the Euro European Union as a whole is the number one producer of wheat in the world. Uh, France is a large portion of that, but as a whole, the European Union is number one. Now, there's a lot of – you can go on different sites and see different numbers. China's up there. The United States is up there. Russia's up there. Ukraine's up there. And India's up there. For Africa, I believe it's uh, – Africa gets about 30% of its uh, total wheat imports come from Ukraine. And 80% comes from Egypt – or 80% of Egypt's wheat comes from Ukraine. There are countries in Africa that are extremely – dependent for, on their food supply from either Russia or Ukraine. Russia produces about 16% of the world's supply of wheat. Ukraine is about 11.5%. And for those of you watching on Facebook, I'm going to go over, I have a, pictures of a map here, but here's an, ag, an agricultural map of Ukraine. And if you notice, the dark green is the you know, primary agricultural, like fertile grounds where they where they do most of their growing here. It's in the eastern portion of the country to the southern portion. So east to southeast to southern portion of Ukraine is where they're doing the majority of their agricultural um, stuff at. Here is another picture of where Russia has control. It's basically in Peating on that agricultural area. Now you have a river here, the Dnieper River. And I said the other day, part of Russia's defense doctrine that was written in the 90s, but it's still similar today. They still have the same thing, is that they can use military force to secure a warm water port to the Baltic and Black Sea. Well, there's only one warm water port that Russia can get access to, to the Black Sea, and that's the Dnieper River that splits Ukraine. You've also heard that maybe part of Putin's objective is breaking off that eastern portion of Ukraine, keeping that, whether it be independent states or keeping it for himself. I think what we're seeing right now is Putin definitely wants that eastern portion for multiple reasons. Not only is it, you know, Russian-leaning, but it's also... Uh, a major agriculture hub. I think Ukraine is not willing to negotiate certain ceasefire agreements because they don't want to lose that region. Again, part of the reason is because, you know, that's Ukrainian territory. They don't want to give up part of their country, but also because that would be a major economic hit for them if they did. It is worth fighting for. That's for sure. If Putin was able to secure that part of Ukraine, he would basically have 25 to 35% of the world's wheat production to himself. He would almost have a monopoly on the world's wheat exports. So that's something to think about. Here's the other thing to think about, and this is a speculation. I haven't looked that much into this, but I did see this. China, in 2020, was the number one importer of Ukrainian wheat. I said not long ago that there was a um, FSB agent whistleblower that said that China was looking at invading Taiwan in the fall. I think China may be playing this smart. 
I think they are well aware of the economic sanctions that would be imposed on them if they were to invade Taiwan. But they also were okay with letting Russia go ahead first and invade Ukraine to see how the world would react. I also believe that they think Putin will be able to take over that eastern portion of Ukraine. And then that way, with Putin as an ally, when they go and invade Taiwan and the world sanctions them, you have Russian wheat and Ukrainian wheat, or which would be Russian wheat at that time, right? That they can still import and feed their citizens with. China does grow a lot of food themselves, but they're not self-reliant. They have to import food. And if they're sanctioned, it would be very easy to starve China out. So I think that they're looking at Russia capturing that eastern bit, getting control of a lot of that agricultural um, area there in Ukraine, and then that way they can have that import that's not subject to sanctions when they go and they make their move on Taiwan. That's speculation, but it does seem probable. But I want to bring this back around to uh, back to the farming. Putin has completely cut off any uh, exports regarding fertilizer. Russia is, I believe, the leading exporter of fertilizer, ammonium, pro- ammonium nitrate, and stuff like that. Brazil imports 25% of its fertilizer. 84% of the 25% they, they import, 84% of that comes from Russia. And the the United States imports about ten percent. Russia is about, or not Russia, China is about ten percent. But Russia imp- exports fertilizer to the largest agricultural countries in the world. Now we make fertilizer here in the U.S. China makes fertilizer too, but we still import a lot. Since he cut that off, these countries have to make up the supply. That doesn't happen overnight. They also have to deal with a huge increase in the price of diesel. So the production cost for farming is going to skyrocket. It's already going up, but it's going to continue to skyrocket. Here in the U.S., we have a lot of small farmers. I don't know about Brazil. Maybe um, Marcos can answer that question. And I'm sorry for the comments, guys. I'm going to go back through and read comments. I'm just trying to focus here, so I haven't been paying attention really. But... Um, you know, oh, make sure WSN still on here. Yep. Um, these we have a lot of small farmers here in the U.S. It's going to cost them literally an arm and a leg to get a crop this year, and their their margins are already extremely narrow. A lot of them will not be profitable, and. What I want you to remember when thinking about this. The United States makes fertilizer. Yes, we make a lot of it. China makes a lot of it. Brazil makes a lot of it. There's something that's called a comparative advantage. The United States, when it comes to agricultural output, could have an absolute advantage over the entire world when it comes to agricultural. We can feed ourselves, we can feed the world. Brazil would be the closest country. 
uh, on top besides us. The thing is, though, when it t- comes to a comparative advantage, it doesn't mean that it's uh, efficient for us to do that because we would have to allocate the majority, if not all, of our resources to doing something like that. You know, towards the agricultural industry. So, what countries do, and the reason why international trade is so important is because it allows uh, nations to be strategic, and it allows, you know, like the United States. We have a lot of farmland, but then we can not farm, you know, all the land we have. We uh, utilize labor and other resources for another industry that could be more profitable. People often forget that there's a scarce amount of resources in the world. There's a difference between a scarcity and shortage. Irresponsible management of scarce resources leads to shortages and other things cause shortages, but Scarcity, everything is scarce in this world. Everything, all resources are limited except for stupidity. I say that all the time. So you have to weigh what's called the opportunity cost, which is what is an alternative I can do to this decision? Let me give you an example. Uh, let's say you're in school, you know, and not, this is just one that they always use in college. And you have homework and it's Friday. And your friends are asking you to go to the movies. And it costs five bucks to go to the movies. You can either spend the five bucks, go to the movies. Or you can stay home and do your homework. The opportunity cost is what you're giving up, you know, in that situation. What's the trade-off? If you do your homework, you're going to get better grades in school. And that could lead to better opportunities along the line, right? But if you go to the movies, maybe there's a girl there and you get laid. But it costs you five bucks. You can't do both, though, because you only have so much time. The same thing goes for uh, trade and for production. You can't just farm all the land because you will. You need people to work on the farms. You need oil to run the farms. You need a lot of resources, right? So maybe you have just a portion of your industry's farming. Then you have another portion is media. Then you have another portion is uh, manufacturing for cars and all that, right? That's why even though the United States could produce all the fertilizer it needs, it doesn't. It'll produce a certain amount, and then it'll supplement the rest with imports. That's why we do that. And other countries have comparative advantages and it allows you to have a whole, you know, good economy going, have a good private sector, and it allows the market basically to dictate what is the most efficient use of resources. That is why you see, you know, when people say, well, why don't we just pump our own oil? I agree. We need to pump more of our oil. But you don't want to just pump it all, you know, not import anything at all, uh, and not and just completely export, right? Because there needs to be a balance because you would have to put so many resources to doing that, it wouldn't be efficient. It wouldn't be feasible. So there's a... And I'm not trying to get complicated. I'm just trying to explain some concepts here on why you know, we're in the situation we're in and where I think this is going. Going back to them accepting the ruble for payment for oil, 
that lowers the demand for the U.S. dollar because of the petrodollar. Now, instead of countries accepting only the U.S. dollar for oil exports, Europe is paying for the majority of their imports with rubles. And now we're paying for all the Russian imports. Now we're not importing anything from Russia anymore, but so but Europe is. We're paying for it in your in uh, euros. That means that right there, bam, Putin just undermined the US dollar. Saudi Arabia recently has talked about using the yawn, accepting the yawn instead of the US dollar for oil. And I want to read the last portion of this article to give you an idea on what this would possibly do. It says, if the yuan displaces the dollar to a sufficient degree in the annual $14 trillion global global oil trade, although that sufficient degree uh, would, would be is difficult to say, countries will have to maintain yuan reserves instead. At the moment, 2.48% of the world's reserves are held in yuan compared to 55% uh, for the dollar. Oil producers receiving yuan would have to spend it on Chinese debt and imports, further strengthening China's economy. But if the world was particularly awash in yuan, other trade might start to be yuan-denominated for metals, say, or soybeans. The effect on both China and the U.S. would be profound. To preserve the yuan's new role, China would have to ensure political stability and financial transparency of the kind the U.S. promised in the 20th century. The U.S. abilities to issue dollar debt and earn dollars for exports would decline, so its economy would shrink. In this situation, the dollar's weakening may trigger a vicious cycle, capital flight away from the dollar and towards the yuan, debilitating the dollar further. So, if the dollar keeps getting undermined, Let's say this becomes a permanent trend. I'm not saying it is, but if it lasts long enough, it, it could be not very good. By the way, Jen Psaki came out, or the I'm pretty sure it was her that said it was the White House, I know that, came out and said that they're expecting the March report for inflation to be crazy high, way higher than anticipated. Part of that is due to what I'm talking about. But... I think what we have now, at the time, like in the 70s, when they went completely away from the gold standard and they started accepting the U.S. dollar for these for oil as a petrodollar, you didn't have China. You only had the Soviet Union, and their economy really wasn't that great. Now you have Russia, who has a big portion of the oil market. Now you have China, who's a major power. And you have some other countries that are reliant on both of them. And we have gotten ourselves here in the United States in a situation where we don't have a lot of leverage. And we have a president that's not willing to increase production. He's only willing to sell out of our strategic oil reserves. All in the name of fucking climate change. So... These are things to think about when you start seeing shortages. Do I think we will have a food shortage here in the U.S.? No. Do I think Europe will have a food shortage? No. But Africa will have a substantial shortage of food. And that means that someone has to make up that supply. If the EU, let's say, is the number one producer of wheat as a whole, 
Ukraine said they are not doing any exports this year, and Russia is not exporting wheat to any of the uh, ex-Soviet countries. Africa is looking for other places to buy wheat because they don't want to go to Russia. They may be forced to, though, because Russia has all the fertilizer, Russia has a lot of the oil, and Russia has the wheat. The EU has the wheat, but now the EU would be forced to produce more, or the U.S. would be forced to produce more wheat, which means they have to allocate more resources to increase that production. There's only so much farmland. So if you have to grow more wheat, that means you have to grow less of another crop. So you're going to see a shortage of something. These are things to think about, right? There's always a trade-off, right? There's, again, limited resources, limited farmland. Let's say you're farming all the farmland possible. Uh, you can you have to, you know, half wheat, half something else. Oh, now you got to increase wheat production. Now you got to go 75% wheat and only 25% of something else. So this is the kind of impacts we could we could see. And the longer this conflict goes on, the worse these impacts are going to be. Um, I had something else here to say with that, but again, the United States, while I'm well aware that we can't just, you know, be the number one thing in everything when it comes to production, I get that. But when it comes to food production, the United States has put itself in a position that we are dependent on other nations for our food. And we have allowed profit and cost to determine that decision. And we have consistently lowered our agricultural output over the last however many years because we can get it from another country cheaper. And for whatever reason, we did not weigh the strategic part of this. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know if that even ever crossed anyone in our government's minds. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but it doesn't seem like it. Same thing with Europe too, right? They obviously didn't fucking take into consideration the strategic part of being dependent on Russian oil. Like, they're a part of fucking NATO that was created to uh, protect from Soviet aggression. And then I've gone over my last couple videos about Russia's relationship with everyone now. So they have NATO basically for Russia at the moment, but they want to be dependent on Russia. And it's, it's going to come back and bite us in the ass. Now, I heard something that was pretty interesting. Uh, and, and it's just something to think about. Russia could also, in the long term, be banking on climate change. Russia's a frozen tundra. You've been to Alaska, they have permafrost. A lot of Russia is like that too. If the, if the earth warms up, with all of the resources that Russia has, it would become the, I mean, 
think about all the farmland that would be created in a global in a global warming setting in Russia. A lot. I mean, they would, they would have so much resources. It's ridiculous in that setting. So they kind of like don't care. They only have 140 million people. And their country is what twice the size of the the U.S. By the way, you look at Russia's population. It's been declining for 20 years. They've never had more than 150 million people, ever. That's why they can also do the gold standard. (laughs) But, you know, we have our, our Congress, I don't even know how to say it, not even the whole Congress, but our elected officials that are preaching this climate change thing. Even if it's all true what they're saying. They have been, done a piss-poor fucking job at taking into consideration the conflicts that could rise from now until then, like this Ukraine situation. And we have allowed ourselves, like again, to become more dependent on other countries for food. What we should have done is said, okay, we're going to, no matter what, have enough agricultural output that will always uh, keep us self-reliant when it comes to food. I'm not saying we have to overdo it, but we're going to have enough to keep us self-reliant. That way, we will be um, in a position that we don't care when we sanction Russia. We don't care when we sanction China or whatever. We don't have to worry about it. That gives us leverage. But we're not in that situation now. And Europe's not in that situation now. You know, we want to... Think about it. We have those, what is it called? Carbon offsets. I want you to think about how big of a fucking joke carbon offsets are. Okay, so you can't, you know, pollute in this area. You know, so you're going to buy a carbon credit for this area so you can pollute in another area. You're still fucking polluting the earth. It's it's not changing anything. You're just not polluting in two areas, right? I mean, it it's a joke. It's a it's a money grab for the most part. By the way, it just snowed here in fucking Tennessee this weekend. All right? Climate change my ass. It's fucking cold here. And it's April. Climate ain't fucking changing. Climate changes four times a year. Think about that. Yeah, goddamn summer, fall, winter, and spring. It changes four times a year every day. Or every year at the right times. Um, you know, and, and which brings me to another point I wanted to make. Because the whole electric vehicle push. You know, okay, gas prices are going up. That's fine. They don't care because they want you to go buy electric cars. Well, right now we have to raise interest rates to combat inflation. I just talked about how the U.S. dollar could be completely undermined here in the near future and is starting to go that route. By the way, if other countries aren't, and I don't know if I said this, but if other countries aren't accepting the dollar like that, you're going to see that money come back here to the mainland, which is going to cause substantial inflation. But go buy an electric vehicle for the in the name of climate change. 
you know, the the EV vehicles, by the way, are also subject to the same cost uh, production cost increases. So they're going to keep rising in price. If you're going to do that, then you have to allow for consumers the ability to go borrow money to buy that car. So what do you have to do? You have to keep interest rates low. Which means you can't really do anything to help inflation. Because in the name of your bullshit-ass climate change thing, you want people to go spend $70,000 on an electric vehicle. I don't have $70,000 cash. The majority of Americans don't. And if they did, I still wouldn't go buy a car cash, which means I would still have to go fucking borrow money to do it. And I'm not doing it at a 10% interest rate. So you got to keep interest rates low to entice people to go buy those cars. You know, these are just things to think about. It's They don't have a lot of foresight when making these decisions. They don't at all. They think, oh, it's going to be a great money-making opportunity because, you know, Tesla's going to start, or not just Tesla, Tesla, Ford, Jim, they're going to start fucking selling all these cars. You know, but these cars are relying on chips we get from Taiwan, which is under you know, a substantial risk of invasion by a country that we're going to have to sanction that we also get a lot of our shit from. And it's just a down... It's, it's, I mean, it's all downhill, really. I also saw that there are economists say that Russia's at risk of default. I don't think so. Now, what they are trying to do is force Russia, Russia into default. They're forcing Russia into default by freezing assets and not allowing them to pay debt. Now, the people that own Russian debt could be me. Let's say I bought Russian debt a long time ago, and they're paying me interest. This is no, it's, it's normal. They're not allowing Russia to pay that debt. So, here's the thing. Russia's debt to GDP is only 18%. They have very, very, very low national debt. To give you an example, the United States is 133% of its GDP. Italy, which is a similar size to Russia's GDP, is like 130%. Canada, which is similar size to Russia's economy, is at like 45% debt. Russia has no problem. In fact, they have enough gold in their reserves and enough money to completely pay off all of its national debt right now. The problem is that we are not allowing them to, which I don't necessarily understand. I get why they want to force them into default, but it's not like it's going to make that big of a difference because they don't have a lot of debt. If you force the U.S. into default with 133% of its GDP, you're talking about serious problems. But with Russia, only 18% of its GDP, they could pay it off. All you're doing is hurting the U.S. because the U.S. owns... A portion of that debt. Why wouldn't you just allow the, Russia to keep paying the U.S. And, and other investors that own that debt? Why not? Who gives a fuck? I get you not wanting to buy their products. That's fine. You're, that, you know, no, no money's going into Russia. But when it comes to making payments on their, on their uh, national debt, money's leaving Russia. A lot of it is. It's not benefiting the... Uh, Russian economy, you're not allowing them to take on new debt. 
So I don't I don't understand that move, and I have to look more into that. But Russia is not at risk of default on their own terms. They're only at risk of the default because the U.S. is going to try and force them into default because they're not allowing them to make their payments. Russia has sent payments, by the way. If you can go read about this, they've tried to send payments. I think they tried to send uh, like a $400 million payment not long ago. They also are willing to pay for it in gold. Why wouldn't we accept gold? Going back to the gold standard, one reason why it's not a good idea for countries like the U.S. to go back on the gold standard is, first of all, it would just immediately cause massive inflation. There were more recessions and depressions in the U.S. before we got off the gold standard standard than there have been afterwards. Getting off the gold standard has actually made our currency more uh, it's less volatile. But the other thing you need is you need a country that can not only have a uh, large oil uh, gold reserve, which the U.S. does, but you also have to be able to produce gold. So if everyone in the world went back onto the gold standard, you would actually see maybe a country like Australia or South Africa, the U.S., Russia, where they have large uh gold deposits, you know, large uh, supply of gold and go mine it, those immediately start to become your more wealthy and powerful countries. Russia has like an 80% um, market share on gold mining in Europe. So they have a substantial... Hold on, I'm going to allow Collins here at the hour mark, all right? Uh, and then anyone can call in, just give me 15 more minutes. So Russia has a, and they've been buying gold up for the last couple of years, by the way. So they have a large gold reserve, but by pegging their currency to gold, and it's only temporary they're doing this, by the way, um, it immediately increases the demand for gold. So the, you know, the uh, cost of gold goes up, the ruble goes up, and Europe is now being forced to pay Russia and either of those. They have no choice. So before you go on and start criticizing Russia and things that they're doing, look, criticize them about what they're doing in Ukraine. I'm fine with that. But you can't deny the fact that Putin has been able to take these sanctions that were supposed to, first of all, deter them, which is a big fucking joke because it's funny when they ask Biden, you know, how, are these deterring Russia from doing anything? Because they were never meant to deter. What do you mean? Your own press secretary and your own department uh, secretary of defense said they were supposed to deter. They aren't deterring nothing. They hurt the, the Russian economy in the short term. And it's still do, not doing that great, but it's recovering. There's ways around sanctions. Sanctions are a fucking joke. So, you know... This is what happens when your administration is based off affirmative action and not hiring the best people. And I don't care if you like that statement or not, but that's true. I went on a whole spiel about this the other day, and that's what it is. All right, we have an executive branch that hires people based off the color of their skin and not based off their, uh, their accolades. That's what we get. I mean, there's no other way to put it. 
you you have a guy who believes his build back better plan is great because apparently 19 uh economists a lot of which are peace prize winners have looked at it and said it was a good plan by the way Karl Marx won a fucking Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> so that doesn't mean shit. You know, it's just something to think about. Again, I'm not trying to stress anyone. I'm not trying to say the world's over. It's doomsday. Go start prepping. No, I don't think we're going to have food shortages. You may see some supply chain stuff. You know, you may see... uh Maybe there's not as much bread on the shelves, you know, but you go in another day of the week to the store, you'll probably find it, right? Like, I'm not saying we're going to be crushed here, but I do want you to look at the fact that we could be in a lot better position and we could have these prices of our products far lower than they actually are. And, And this conflict has fueled a lot of the price increases. But it's not the end-all, be-all, because this shit's been happening since last January. Go back. You Go look up uh, White House press briefing on gas prices. You'll find videos on YouTube going all the way back to fucking April of last year. Talking about how they're going to help gas prices. This shit's been happening. By the way, they say, oh, gas prices are way up because... You know, from 2020, there was no demand, so gas dropped, I mean, significantly. No one was buying gas. I get that. That's why I don't ever use 2020 when I argue the price of gas. But then they say demand just, you know, completely increases. And to meet demand, prices have to go up. Here's the thing. Demand in 2021 still wasn't fucking back to what it was in 2019. Why? Because we still had states that were shut down. You still had people that were working from home and driving less. But gas is fucking more expensive? Demand still isn't back to what it was. And if it was, if demand went back to what it's had in 2019, then how come we can't have the same fucking price as what it was in 2019, which in here in Tennessee was like $2.15 a gallon? Why is my shit $4 plus a gallon now? So, you know, it goes back to... um. And here's the other thing. If Russia has so much leverage on the oil market, and then Saudi Arabia is the other country that has substantial leverage in the oil market. So we cut off Russian oil here in the U.S., and we're trying to get European Europe off it. And as we wean Europe off it, that means we probably are going to go to the Saudis. So what does that do? That gives the Saudis more leverage in negotiating prices of oil. And I know that's not the end-all, be-all of what dictates the price. So people are going to say, you know, futures plays a lot. I get it, okay? But what I'm saying is that gives them more more leverage, at least in the production. By the way, when when Biden goes to call the Saudis, half the time they don't even answer the fucking phone. Think about how disrespectful that is. The president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, called the guy in Saudi Arabia, and that motherfucker didn't even answer the phone. How rude is that? And how disrespectful. And, And that was in a time... At the beginning of this conflict, when his ass better have been answering the phone. Because we needed to negotiate this oil deal because we're trying to shut down Russian uh, exports. I want you to think about that. It's not even that it was just some random time throughout the year and you missed him on the phone. No. Like, 
shit's hitting the fan in Ukraine. We're about to slap Russia with sanctions. We're about to cut off oil potentially. And we're trying to negotiate with you. And you still don't answer the phone because you don't respect Biden's ass. That is the problem. There's so many factors that go into all of this. And, you know, I've been trying to figure out a way I was going to cover all this information. I covered a lot of it. And there's still stuff I'm probably missing. I have like four pages of notes I've written down. And I haven't explained it as clearly as I would have liked to. But all it's a big cycle. All right? And we just have not done a very good job in making sure that the United States is not only the largest economy in the world forever, but we've also done a piss poor job of keeping any kind of economic leverage that we have and, you know, being self-reliant. Self-reliance is, is, is a main part of this. That's what, you know, during World War II made the United States so powerful. We didn't fucking need anyone else to build tanks and airplanes or nothing like that. We didn't need to hire outside labor. We didn't need to uh, export or import food from anywhere. We could grow it on ourselves. We could make it all ourselves. We could do everything we need to on our own. Germany couldn't do that. They couldn't keep up. England couldn't do that. They couldn't keep up. Russia barely did that. It cost them, what, 20-something million people? So, you know, that's kind of where I'll end. I'll, I'll start taking call-ins for those of you that want to call in. Uh, I know I haven't, sorry, I haven't really been going through the comments uh, and really reading them. So anyone that has had any statements to make, please call in. Give me some input. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think we're going to see inflation keep going up. And I think that it's, you know, these countries in Africa are going to get crushed. Stop downplaying doomsday. No, it's not. It's not there yet. It, look, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt everybody. And how much it hurts, I think, is going to depend on how long this conflict drags on for. If this starts being like a year or two years worth of a conflict, yeah, it's going to be very bad, I think. You know, you can't keep this going forever. But that's the other thing I even forgot about is let's say this ends tomorrow. We just had that you are uh, – I'm not putting blame on anybody here, but, you know, we're speculating on who's responsible. But we saw the uh, – was it Buka or I don't know how to say it, the city's name. In Ukraine, where the Russians supposedly executed and tortured, what, 400-plus people? I think the number today was like they found 1,200 bodies. And then they're saying in some other towns that same thing could have happened. So you have a whole bunch of war crimes going on there. You have the fact that Russia has invaded Ukraine at all, you know, plus all the, all the deaths and destruction. And you have Biden calling for regime change. You have Biden saying we're going to try Putin for war crimes. So how the fuck do you, if this con, uh, conflict ends, how do you just get rid of the sanctions and go back to what, you know, normal? You can't. 
we Biden has put himself due to his dumbass mouth in a position where he can't really do a lot. He has to keep the, the sanctions on him. And if he doesn't, if he just takes them off, Ukraine and probably other countries around the world are going to look at him and say, what are you doing? You're just going to forget about everything that Russia just did? And, and by the way, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but uh, Zelensky, our relationship with Ukraine is souring every single day. We are getting, uh, Zelensky is getting more and more hate for NATO every day. Have you seen when he goes into the UN security meetings, how he talks to them? He's pissed. And rightfully so, I get it. I, I get the situation Zelensky's in. He has the right to be mad. We are helping him. I don't know why he expected us to ever interfere. We told him we weren't going to. And I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying you need to look out for that. Don't be surprised if this ends soon and Ukraine is not on our side with anything. They may sever ties for and in a lot of uh in a lot of different ways. Zelensky is not happy about how NATO has handled this. And there's been a lot of people that died on both sides. I don't know what the number is, but it's a lot. You can see the videos. There are videos that go go look up the uh, ones. I can't even pronounce the city's name. I think it's Butch. Eric, maybe you know how to say it. But- is it Butcha? Butcha? Something like that. Uh, there's videos of the street, and there are bodies just littered up and down it. I mean, it's 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 absolutely crazy. And I don't know who's responsible for it, but it doesn't matter. It, it, dead is dead, right? And there's a lot of people that are dying right now, and... I just wouldn't be shocked if we have a you know less friendly relationship with Ukraine after this and tensions between the US and Russia will continue to rise no matter what after this because again Biden has put himself in a position where he has to keep those sanctions on on Russia. There's not going to be any foreign policy um agreements after this I don't believe. I think ties are severed completely. At least as far as I can see into the future. So it'll be interesting. And I think that China's playing a role in this. I think that China will ultimately invade Taiwan. I think that's inevitable. And I think China is happy that Russia has chosen to go first. I think they're relying on what Russia does. I think that China has influence over Russia and how they're handling this conflict and how long they're dragging it out and what objectives they're trying to achieve. And they're trying to see how it can benefit them with an invasion of Taiwan. Because let's be real. If you haven't gone and researched what an invasion of Taiwan would look like, it would be far more deadly than what we're seeing in Ukraine, which is just, I mean, crazy to think of. I think the numbers they they said like within the first week was around a uh, hundred plus thousand deaths, and that's without nuclear weapons. I don't not, I don't think China will go nuclear on Taiwan, but this is just a, an initial invasion because you have Taiwan who is ready, uh, you know, for the invasion at any moment, and it's a smaller island. It would be bad, and it would have to be a 
um, a beach landing by China. It, it probably looked somewhere like D-Day, just with a lot more high-tech shit. And then the U.S. would probably get involved as well. It would also take a larger toll on the US, on the world markets, especially here in the U.S. We get a, our chips come from Taiwan, that you know chips for tr- cars and all that. We think there's a shortage now. If we don't find a way to keep producing them in the United States or increase production here in the U.S., we're, there would be a significant shortage. Plus, whatever else we would lose by sanctioning China and then sanctioning us because it would go both ways at that point. Europe would get absolutely crushed because China's economic fingers run so deep in Europe. It would just completely destroy their economy. Now, Richie says, do I actually believe that this president would get involved directly or just sanction China? I think it would start out with sanctions. Uh, I think he would be under a lot of pressure. I'm not 100% sure if the United States would interfere, but I do imagine we would. I think we would be a lot more trigger happy on China invading Taiwan than we are with Ukraine invading Russia. And when I mean a lot more trigger happy, you know, right now, I think there's a lot of politicians. I think Biden would actually like to interfere with this Ukraine conflict because of how much money personally him and other politicians are losing with their business endeavors they have in Ukraine. Um, The same goes for China. They lose a lot personally, but you have the U.S. economy that would suffer immensely in that conflict. And I think he would get a lot more pressure to get involved there than he is in Ukraine. I've always been under the impression that we would absolutely interfere in that conflict at some point. And, and Marco said, you know, the China has a direct economic impact on the U.S. economy. Yeah, but we have a direct impact on their economy as well, right? It goes both ways here. Uh, it would be interesting to see how China approaches it. China will, I believe, try and reunify Taiwan through diplomacy. It's not going to work. And if you go back and you look at the history of Taiwan, Taiwan, I believe, is all of the people in China from World War II and and right after that were like capitalists or they were anti-communist. They didn't like Mao. That they also fought a war, like a civil war, and they were pushed back and they went to Taiwan, which was, by the way, held by the Japanese uh, during World War II. And they've been settling on that island. So... They are those people originated out of China. It's just a group that didn't share the same economic and social ideology as the China, the Communist Party in China, and that's where they ended up. So they're not going to want to go back to being a part of China. It's similar to the um, what is it, Hong Kong? But Hong Kong was a little bit different. First of all, Hong Kong's, I believe, on the mainland of China, right? I could be wrong on that, but I think it is. Uh, but Hong Kong was a capitalist entity. It was its actually own entity just until recently. There were protests about that, but you're not going to see a peaceful reunification of Taiwan and China. And that's coming soon. It's coming very soon. You know, Hopefully, it's not here this year like it was expected to be, but, but who knows? I mean, I would say if you're going to do it, you do it under Biden. You don't do it under Trump or whoever the Republican president is going to be because I doubt another Democrat gets voted in for a while. Marco says, not going to happen. They're water and oil. The Taiwan people uh, curses the PCC and the 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not, uh, he says, uh, let me go back and read some of these comments here. Pook says the war of terror study estimated these wars caused deaths of 897,000 to 929,000 people, including over 364 civilians. And the cost of $8 trillion is assumed. No WMDs were found. So are you talking about a Taiwan invasion or a, a uh, Chinese invasion of Taiwan, Pook? Because I think I saw the same thing. My number, I said over 100,000. That was just the first week. Uh, oh, yeah. So he said, no, that was ours in Iraq. Yeah, no, we killed over a million, I believe, Iraqis total when you when it's all said and done. Because you could also, Pook, for that number, go back and uh, tally up how many people ISIS killed. Because even though we were pulled out then, we started ISIS. ISIS was the security, basically the security police force that we trained in Iraq to try and maintain order. And that went, <laughs> went to shit, right? And, and then you could even say how many Syrians that ended up dying in that too when ISIS went and you know, started a war there. Because that organization, again, was started by us. And, and then in Africa too. I mean, there's millions of people died from that conflict. It, you know... It, I would say more than that 929,000 number for sure. Not to mention how many people are going to continue dying. And um, and you're talking about ISIS just now, but if you think back to when Obama was in office, you remember he never called it ISIS. He called it ISIL. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's no difference. And you'd have Lindsey Graham and Joni Ernst also calling it that too. Yeah. I really should tell you something right there. You're well, ISIL is the JV form of ISIS, right? <laughs> Isn't that what he said? It's the JV team. Uh, that's what Obama called them. The ISIS is the JV team. Nothing to worry about. As they're fucking blowing people up in front. Remember what, in Paris, there's what, 100, 130 people they killed? In uh, France, a gun-free zone? Especially Paris? Damn it, they didn't take some AKs in there and start shooting the place up kill 130 people. I dare them to do that shit in Dallas. But, uh, yeah, Marcus said Obama included. You think about the death toll from all the bombings. We're not the only ones here, though. You know, look, I give us shit with our whole Middle Eastern deal, but we're not the only country that's responsible for that kind of numbers. I mean, Russia's fucking killed a lot of people. Putin himself, for as long as he's been in power, you understand he was there, I believe, during one of the Chechen wars when they went into Georgia, uh, and in Syria now, when he went and helped out there, and then now in Ukraine. So, you know, everyone's a killer. That's a world leader. That's why it's a joke when, when you hear Biden and Clinton talking about, oh, well, Putin's a killer. Especially Clinton. Like, bitch, you know how many people you're accused of suiciding? <laughs> Just as many as he is. You've, you've suicided more people than Putin has poisoned. I mean, what's up, Raccoon? Hello? Raccoon? Oh, there he is. I think. You see him? Eric, is Raccoon there? Um, he's muted Hello. now. He's unmuted. Oh, there he there is. There, there, he is. Go. there we go. There we go. I, I had to I had to kick my my phone or my my little microphone in there a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something. Uh, uh, I don't know if you if you read my message. I was on the phone with my with my nephew 
I haven't read nothing uh, before I uh, okay. asked her call okay. at the 50-something minute mark. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I didn't know if you read, read or not, but did you know what the difference between red dye diesel and regular diesel is? Well, yeah, there's, I know there's certain compound differences, but a lot of like the uh, red dye diesel is, again, it's dyed, right? Which is, um, mm -hmm. they get the tax exemption and it's only supposed to be used off-road in tractors and stuff. Yeah. A lot of the yeah. dye purposes. Other, is no, other, other net, it works perfectly fine in other yeah. diesel engines. <laughs> no, <laughs> now my, to... yeah, no, I know, I know that. Uh, I was trying to keep a lot of this simple, right? Uh, far, that's oh, why yeah. I said red diesel or farm diesel. Farm diesel, it's it. You're not allowed to use farm diesel on the road. The only time you're allowed to use yeah. farm diesel on the road is if you're driving that piece of equipment from one part of your property to another. Like we have, we have to go out one gate down the road and then into another gate. That's it. Yeah. Uh, yep. You only allowed so much travel. Yeah, and they dye it red Even so they the can pickup. tell. Yeah, well, they do that if they catch you. They can, you know, especially in some states where you have farm tags on your trucks. Yeah. Those guys are run red diesel on them. Yeah, highly. I just illegal. wanted. To, yeah, well, it's highly illegal only because they're not getting a kickback from it. Yeah, you know, road exactly. tax. No, yeah, no, I, I'm well aware of, of of that. And then you know, my dad, I, I was talking to him not long ago about. It. He even said that there's certain a little differences. You know, it's not as uh, yeah, it's pure. You know, it's it's a little it's a it's dirt a dirtier form of, of fuel. So you wouldn't necessarily want to run it in your vehicle, but you could. I mean. Um, yeah, and then he said even That's a lot of the got, yeah. yeah, and he said a lot of the newer tractors too. You know, they could have some issues maybe running that. I don't, I don't know to what extent, but it's still important. It's extremely important, and especially when you yeah. go back and you start thinking about the small farmer, because that's who I'm. I, I'm just thinking about you know, there's a lot of big farms for sure. They have a lot of nicer equipment. There's a lot of small farms that have nice equipment. We just bought a new tractor. It's very nice, but a lot of them run just you know. Regular equipment, and I mean the cost of um, you know, okay, if you own a hundred acres and you farm that, you're you're making enough money to maintain that property and to live. Most small <laughs> farmers are money rich or uh, land rich and money poor. All right, yeah. because so, of the farm bill, because of the farm bill, because they tell you what you can and can't do with your land. And, a lot well, of people don't realize, but if you talk to people who've been in the business for a long time, you'll find out that a lot of times they have more fields that's left exposed with nothing but weeds and brush on it because they're not allowed to use it mm -hmm. because they don't want to be inundated with all that food. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're the breadbasket of the world, but we are. We're not if they don't get a, a tax break. Mm -hmm. or not tax but if they can't tax what's going out because i come from a family of, of farmers and and a lot of them lost their asses because their bills got higher and their output was less just for the simple fact that everything was going up and price of the harvest was increasing and the output from the harvest was decreasing mm -hmm. And a lot of them literally go under, then they buy the land up and they make a subdivision or some shit out of it, a factory or something. Yeah. And and that brings me to another point, right? So that goes back to, and I, look guys, I apologize if I've not been able to really explain all this clearly. If I know I've stumbled through a lot of this, it's a lot. And when it starts coming down to explaining the economics behind it, 
I have it all in my head. It's just hard for me to relay it. But when you start talking about comparative advantage, it's not a bad thing that we don't you you know maximize our farming capability and that we import food. It's not bad. The problem it's bad when you do it to the point that you would have to, um, you know, completely rearrange part of your economy to become self reliant because you're so dependent on other foods. Like you overdo <laughs> it, right? You do too much of that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it, one, uh, one of the other one of the other things too, Michael, on that. See, back in the in the fifties, they stopped them from using manure on the fields. Yeah that put nutrients back into the fields and not the artificial crap that they produce from the oil products. The oil mm -hmm. byproducts goes into the nitrogen fertilizer. Mm -hmm. It contaminates the water sources. I know a few ranches around where I'm at that they live in an area where they, they literally maintain a water source because they're in a rock shelf that holds a certain amount of water. And when they plan on it, they lose cattle. The cattle die from getting too much nitrogen from the fertilizers. Nitrogen is not good for animals of any sort. And they don't use natural fertilizer anymore because of the fact that the government can't make a killing off of it. And the oil industry can't get rid of it. So I actually talked so to my, my dad about this and because I asked him, you know, about like what would substitutes be for ammonium nitrate and other uh, nitrate products, right? And he said, because I said, you know, you would have to go like a more organic route, right? Like manure. He said, yes, but really the only form of manure that would really be able to replace it is human. Uh, and you have to do so much yep. to it, be extremely inefficient. Here's the other thing. It doesn't work very as well as what ammonium nitrate and the, and the other fertilizer products do. Manure, it doesn't. And then from other things I've read, there's certain crops you can't just go and start just putting manure all over. Uh, you know, it's well, it has to be, it has to be aged manure. You can't exactly. put fresh stuff. It's got to yeah. be sitting out there for a while. And they used to they used to hoard it and put it in piles and let it age. Then and then here's the other downfall fields. of this too, because I thought about this and I tried to research this. I didn't bring this up earlier, but I tried to research this. Um, it's not a, it's not efficient. Here's the other thing. Let's say you could substitute with like chicken manure. Okay. Let's just hypothetically say you could do that. Well, that means you need more chicken shit. <laughs> and to get more chicken yeah. shit means you have to uh, have more chickens. To have more chickens, you have to stop uh, uh, slaughtering chickens for food purposes. <laughs> and you have to keep them alive to get their shit. Because there's only so many chickens, right? It, something you also have to re something else, Mike, that you had to look at mm -hmm. is chicken farms, and I was around a lot of chicken farms over in North Carolina, big chicken farms. Mm -hmm. You know what they did with their chicken shit? What's that? They hauled it to, they hauled it to a landfill. They weren't allowed to use it or sell it because the government did not want it to go down. They would rather you put the inorganics in the ground to grow the inorganic seed that they're putting out. Mm -hmm. Why do you think if you have a GMO corn that you eat or GMO beans and you shit these kernels out or these skins out, 
But if you have some that are not GMO seeds, you don't have that problem. Think about it. Well, I've shit out uh, so, corn kernels that were organic or non-organic. I know corn's hard for the body to digest. You need to chew them up just a little. It is. <laughs> it's hard up. to digest. Yeah. But or organic mix corn, them in a blender or, or something. Or, organic corn, though. Organic corn, though. If you if you chew it up the way you're supposed to, you don't have so much problem with it. But with or with GMO corn, you have a real hard time trying to crunch up the daggone skin. Mm-hmm. The skins are thicker, and it's got a few other things in it too. Plus, remember, the plants absorb this stuff from the ground. These chemical fertilizers, and I say chemical fertilizer because it's made from oil byproducts and anything else they want to throw in it. And where does it go once it goes into the plant? Right to the seed you're harvesting, and it stays there. Well, uh, you know, even with all that, right? Like that's kind of going down to a whole another conversation. You know, in what I'm kind of getting at is it doesn't matter how we grow our food. The fact that we are going to have a shortage of the resources that we need to grow the food or not even so much a shortage, but it's going to be a higher cost to get those resources. You know, it's, it's only a higher cost because they demand a higher cost to sell it. Yeah. That's the problem that we have. They want more money because their coffers are getting skimmed. Okay. Their coffers get skimmed, they raise the prices. If they feel a threat, they raise the prices. If they feel that a certain time of the year they could make more money, they raise the prices, Mike. That's all it is to it. It's nothing about capitalism. It's it's about greed. More than anything else, it's about greed. Because if it wasn't for the oil industry sending all these chemicals to the chemical companies to make the stuff that we need to grow food with, and to produce GMO seed with, we wouldn't be in the problems we're having right now. Because it wouldn't be, they would say, oh shit, what are we going to do with all the sludge we got left over from the oil industry now? We've got all these settling ponds. We can't get rid of it. Nobody's buying it. Nobody wants the chemicals. See, I actually Nobody would wants argue, the products. I would actually argue that the world's farming output like that wouldn't be efficient enough to maintain the world's population right now. If we didn't. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Mike, if you went to the third world countries and taught them how to raise their own food, you think they would be starving. Yeah. No, hundred percent because they are in Zimbabwe. They were taught by the English for a long time and they're starving. And all those countries in Africa. What are, and these what are they doing? Are what what are they, they're packing themselves into the cities and leaving the outer edges and not doing the farming? No, it's because South they, Africa. They, they look, are doing the look farming. at South Africa. Look at South Africa, a big farming country, and they are killing white farmers. And what are they doing with the land? Nothing. They're wondering where they're going to get their next meals at because nobody's there to grow it. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing it's they do, stupidity. though, is, is they try to grow, but they don't give it to people. This is what happened in Zimbabwe, right? So Zimbabwe, they took the land from the English farmers, right, that knew how to farm properly, and yeah. they gave it. They didn't even give it to the people that worked on the farms. They gave it to 
the politicians. They still maintained it as farms. They still tried to yeah. operate it as a farm, but they didn't know how to properly operate it as a farm. But a lot of that goes exactly. back to how to strategically do it. Goes into right? teaching. Yeah, yeah. into but, teaching. And, and, you know, I've said this before, right? Because of that and that trend, uh, because for those of you that don't know, Zimbabwe, before Mugabe got in there, was one of the most prosperous economies in the world. <coughs> yeah. It's a very wealthy place. And they fucked all that up. And South Africa is going down the exact same road. The exact where same do road. they get their food at, Mike? Where do they get their food at? From Not America. We no, send actually, them billions do, of pounds. We do, of but actually the, major, uh, the majority of their necessities are coming from Ukraine and Russia. That's why they're going to starve this year. 80% of Egypt's uh, wheat imports come from Ukraine. 30% of Africa's wheat yep. imports as a whole come from Ukraine, and then another large portion of it come from Russia. And they're and not here trying in the to buy States, Here in the United States, they dump 20% of their harvest in wheat because they don't have anywhere to send it to. Mm -hmm. Think about it. It's all about fucking greed and control. That's all it's about. Control the people, control the hunger, control the money. That's all it's about. These evil bastards are trying to starve us to death. That's why they're telling you there's going to be a food shortage. When the goddamn government tells you there's going to be some. Hello? Together, you're. Oh. Places. You got muted there. You can't. Am I still me? Okay, I'm not. In some places in the United States, people can't even have a garden. It's not because the ground ain't good enough. It's because it's against the rules. Well, that must be a You'll Cali a thing because I don't, I don't know anyone that gives not a Not just here. California, <laughs> Pennsylvania, New York. Uh, Florida's got places like that. Certain metropolitan areas say you can't have that nasty garden in your backyard. Go get it at the store. Uh, they want you dependent on the store. They don't want you having a self-sufficiency because when you're self-sufficient or self-sufficient to a certain point, they can't control it. If you can make 16 days of food in your yard, at 16 days they can't control your, your hunger. Think about it. They're mm -hmm. trying to control us to the point to where they're going to say you will conform or we'll starve you like this crap about a, the the national Bitcoin bullshit that they're going through of being able to have money going to a, a certain kind of a currency mm -hmm. over the computer. If they don't like you, they can shut the damn thing off and you go without until you conform. It's yeah, all that, about complying. That's another topic. I guess I know, yeah. but I'm just yeah. saying, I'm just saying, you know, if you have to have food for your family, and you know you're getting that money because you're on that that wage they want to give everybody to not do anything, and they shut it off. Where are you going to get your food at? Mm -hmm. Okay, they're going to starve your family out, and they do that. And say, oh, it's because of this and that, or social score, or some stupid shit. But people have to stand up to it because we have that God-given right to kick out the tyranny in this country and nobody wants to do it. And they're going to put themselves in a cower in the corner while your family gets mutilated and raped while you take a bullet in the forehead when they're done with your kids. That's what it's going to come down to.
Um, I do want to go back on this though because I think when you're when you're talking about the greed and the corruption, I think a lot of that goes back to the political people that are making these decisions that are, you know, making money from overseas operations, right? Uh, and overseas investments. It's not the American farmers. It's not the American distributors, right, that are necessarily uh, increasing these these the cost of all this. Because why would the American farmer at any level, you know, be okay with that? Because they want to make money still. They want to sell their products here and be competitive. And the people distributing it are only going to increase dis- distribution costs because of gas, which is another reason why all of our food products will be more expensive because it costs a lot more fucking money to get it places. And it's a big cycle. It's not necessarily the businesses here. It's not necessarily the uh, corporate, you know, the larger corporations here that are doing business here. It's the people that are making decisions that have control on certain portions of the market, usually elected leaders that are, you know, have more of an incentive for themselves to go overseas and and do business and import goods from, be it China, be it Ukraine, be it wherever. You know, that's the that's where these big conflicts of interest comes in. And it all goes back and plays a role. Uh, you know, it's so, you know, it's not, um, you know, let's see. Pooh says real talk. How much money do your clients want to hide on a daily basis to escape tax liability? A fucking lot. That's like the majority of what I do. Every time I, I do any kind of decision, Pooh, investment wise. I have to take into consideration one of the questions. What kind of tax liability is this move going to have on my client? But you're right. Yeah, I know you're you're giving me a hard time, but you're correct. But I don't have a problem with that because no one wants to pay taxes to the government. They'd rather buy buy something. You know, like, okay, good example. A farmer would rather go buy a tractor and deduct it and depreciate it than fucking pay the government in taxes. And I completely understand. Hell, at least a tractor uh, can help you be productive so you know again it's not necessarily the corporations here i think a lot of people get confused with that if their people are doing business here they want to make sure they're being competitive here they don't want things to just skyrocket through the roof and and get it to the point that people can't afford anything because then they don't make no money it's it's when we have you know we're we're negotiating terms of trade or where we are you know allowing people to invest overseas through the opic or now it's what is it the dfc now which is a little different now but like the Bidens were taking advantage of or in ukraine or like they're taking advantage of in countries in africa or in the middle east that's where it starts becoming a problem how much of our oil production and this climate change cost i wonder how how much politically connected organizations are making through um you know businesses in these poor countries that are in the industry of either something related to climate change or something related to oil or food or something like that i guarantee you it's a lot of money what's up linga hey mate what's going on you there i mean i really appreciate it yeah. Um. Yeah, but you can carry on, and I'll just pick up where you. Oh no, up. I'm good. I know you called in earlier too, so I'm just rambling now. But 
No, it was a good show, man. Look, I think uh, there was a lot of content there, but you managed to cover most of it. And um, I think it was pretty succinct. So, yeah, I'm sure there's some people who learned some stuff. Um, one thing I wanted to say was if you look at our GDP to percentage debt ratio, um, I mean, I didn't actually think about looking that up. But when you said it, and I, I learned a little bit from it, Australia, New Zealand were in 2010 in single digits mm. ratio, percentage ratio, right? Mm. The US at the same time was around about 40 to 60, somewhere in that period of um, debt. And then Russia was actually, yeah, I think it was 28 or something. If you look at the yeah. 2010 figures internationally, you'll see where people sat. Mm. Since and Russia lowered their debt too, by the way. If you look at that chart uh, per year there, yeah. 2010 now, Russia decreased their debt down to like 12%. And I don't, you said it was around 20. Yeah. It could have been as high. It went up, you know, and then it went down. By the way, if you have seen uh, a chart of when Putin got into office, you know, and, and for the, up until now almost, what the Russian economy has done, because in the 90s it was terrible. Now I'm not putting that all on Yeltsin. Or, and there was a lot of factors that played into that. But you can see why he's so popular. Because, I mean, the economy just in Russia just skyrocketed. Yeah. And, you know, and, but, but go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, no, fully agree. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is – sorry, I'm just trying to get rid of some spiders. They're everywhere here. Um, so one of the things I noticed was that Australia um, – in 2010, we had Labor governments, right? Mm-hmm. And they were, they were. I don't know how it aligns to yours, but probably more left. Like they're more so- socialist. That's the yeah, the labor. Yeah, so your liberal party is like yeah. our conservative party. Your labor party is yeah. like the yeah. So yeah, we we basically had a, a labor government for a couple of years there, probably about two terms, which is you know six or so years. Mm-hmm. And in yeah. those in those terms of labor government, um, things were like debt was low. Things were pretty pretty easy uh you know there was a lot of stimulus going into the economy so people were being paid to um continue um living which you know most people like they got paid if they had a baby and they got paid if uh we got paid a thousand bucks and most people went out and bought a television with it you know like (laughs) they just gave us money for for nothing Mm -hmm. and um now when you look at it fast forward 12 years which is three terms of successive Liberal governments, so that's your mm-hmm. conservatives. Yes, we're now forty something percent debt to GDP. Forty mm-hmm. percent. We borrowed trillions and trillions of dollars just in like a twelve-year period, right? Mm-hmm. And when you line up all of that stuff against everything else that's happening in the world, mm-hmm. including all these conflicts, including the, you know, the pandemics, pandemics, and all of the other, like the the whole thing you're talking about with the the gold. Um, secured mm-hmm. bonds. Like you got to admit that we are just on a big cycle of somewhat resetting. You know the the balance to put everyone back in debt and everyone back to owing. Mm-hmm. How how is it possible in that landscape between 2010 and 2022 that we went into debt so badly? Why? How could that possibly happen to such a country that was think about what happened in addition to that? Well, think about what happened a year before that, right? The world, 
the world, yeah, in 08, 09, the world's economy just completely fell out. And so that's well a lot of that reason, uh, especially for us, because we started doing stimulus, uh, you know, yep. and, and, and uh, we, we lower interest rates, trying to get money out into the economy. You know, so there's, there, there was a whole financial crisis, I believe, is what played, it, played into that. Uh, Australia, I know their economy took a shit during that time too. The whole world did. Now, as far as um, how much they borrowed and the actual numbers behind it, I'm not sure. But th- you know, with ours, I also want to say it's not so much a liberal or conservative deal here in the U.S. because conservatives have raised the debt quite a bit as well. I think it just goes down to more of a financial responsibility you know, argument there. Um, but yeah, yeah, maybe from, you're right. A lot of it comes from government greed and, you know, we give away billions and billions to countries that hate us. Well, that's a good point. I want to bring and it up. You don't, and, and Mike, and you yeah. don't think that these politicians aren't getting kickbacks? Oh, I know they are. I've talked, how many times have yeah, you heard me talk about this? Exactly. Right? <laughs> I've gone into detail. We've got those, well, we got those people Making us slaves to the dollar. Okay, um, they got us. They, they they give us easy interest. They give us certain amount of money. Then they take away from it, and then they say, "Okay, well, you get a tax return next year, and then you get back just a penance of it." And here you got people who are struggling, struggling. And these son of a bitches give themselves a 21% fucking pay raise. That's a slap in the balls to every person working. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people are ruthless, ruthlessly evil. And they're going to kill us off is what they're going to do. Because they cannot get away without stealing everything they can get their freaking hands on. And, you know, I agree with you to an extent on that because I think that a portion of them are ruthlessly evil, like Pelosi and Warren's. Because here's the thing. Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, she was a, a financial advisor like myself, and she actually was a Republican and conservative before. She's very understanding financially, but she now says things that are very financially irresponsible. So there has to be a motive yeah, but that. They join the club though. They join the club and it's like you're going to do this for us or we're going to destroy your reputation. Mm-hmm. Well, what I was going to say... That's what Trump was showing. Yeah, well, what I was going to say is some of those people, they don't even have to do that, Raccoon, because some of them are, are... It's not that they're evil. They're just that financially irresponsible and that financially incompetent and they just don't know. So they like AOC, someone like that, right? I don't think AOC is a bad person. Is she getting kickbacks? Probably, but I don't think she's inherently <laughs> she evil. She's a politician, though. But she is financially incompetent, and she just thinks money grows on trees, right? Like she, that's that's. But you have that mixed in with the other group that you're talking about, and that's what even uh, accelerates this problem, right? And this goes both sides. So. Yeah, and, and also also the fact, Mike, that she's allowed to stay there. They should have kicked her ass out. Yeah. They should have said, you're censored, you're banned, you're out of here. Mm-hmm. But no, she plays along with them and does what they want her to do, say the stupid shit she does. Also like Green, who said that if we put too many people in, in on Okinawa, the damn island will flip over. 
Wait, Jesus that can't happen? It won't, it won't flip? I thought it, no, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> I, I'm, it's been I'm standing up for a long time, man. Even uh, the Japanese had more people on it than we had. Yeah, but they're worth five you foot know? two. Come on, okay. Can I um? But there's there's yeah, thousands that, more. I mean, center gravity was lower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't have as much weight behind them. But these, that's why we can only put in these, put on forty thousand Americans when we fought them instead of two million, right? So they could have, you know, 150,000 Japs on there, and and they didn't leave us a whole lot of room. So we had to kind of make yeah. you know, the numbers. We had to kill island, them and so. throw them off the island to keep them from flipping the island yeah. over. Can I ask another yeah. question? Yeah, go ahead. R- Raccoon, um, apart from me just imagining you're the old bloke from Yellowstone, you know, the guy with the, the big mo, um, because of your accent, <laughs> which I think is lovely, man. So... It's good talking. I don't know if anyone knows who I'm talking about, but anyway. Yeah, but um, if that baby blows, I'm going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my front so anyway, yard when it goes up. <laughs> but, Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead, Lingo. So, so, the, so you're talking about farming and you're talking about sustainability uh, throughout like a, a self-reliant model. Like if you go back into the 80s in Australia, we were living off still probably off the back of um, the sheep. And wool, and then we started living yep. off wheat. And sugar. now we have canola, yeah, and sugar, yeah, yeah, sugar up north. But mm-hmm. um, canola is a really big um, export, live export mm-hmm. of beef is is also a big export. At the moment, people here are paying up to nine dollars a kilo live weight for beef, which is double. So that's two pounds, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the equivalent of like ten ten bucks. US for two pounds of meat, mm-hmm. um, which is it to- like double what it was not that long ago. There's not a lot of, um, I-, I agree with Raccoon. I think there's actually profiteering in that. We had drought that, that caused people to lose stock, which meant only the big people could keep it. Mm-hmm. When the big people you also keep had it, the they big set the rent. price. You also yep. had the big yeah. fires that killed a lot of livestock over there too. Well, yeah, fires <laughs> yeah, every year in Australia. <laughs> Fuck yeah, all, but like, the last fuck couple of years, they've had lost. some serious blazes yeah. over there. Yeah, we we had some. We got like one in three and a half thousand year floods at the moment. So yeah, you know, like, I, anyway, I always tell people that back, I'm like, I'm like, you fucking complain about it being too dry, and now you're complaining about it being too fucking wet. It's like, you, can you find a damn happy yeah. medium here? Like, never happy, never happy. <laughs> yeah, we're we're um, supposed to get fourteen inches of snow tonight, Mike. Yeah, but it's tell me, it, it's a, it's tell a me different... DARPA isn't around and tell me that yeah. they're not controlling the harp system. I don't know nothing about that, so I'm not even gonna end well, it. Go ahead, go ahead. Yesterday it was almost 74 degrees, and tonight it's gonna be down below 20. Oh well, welcome to Tennessee, yeah, Raccoon. Mean... It's like that every fucking day here. It's like that. We just it snowed <laughs> and it was 80 degrees before. The biggest snow days we get come after it being a summer day. I mean it's normal here. We get uh, snow in the damn summertime. It can snow on Fourth of July here. I mean, but the thing of it is, is our weather has been so screwed up this winter, and it's not because of goddamn global warming bullshit. No, it's because Russia invaded Ukraine. But uh, oh yeah, well, yeah. well they also cured. They, they they did cure the the uh, coronavirus for us. No, so. that that's actually coming back up now. You need to go read on that. Uh, Linga, go ahead though. That's coming they're... back up because the so, war is almost over. Yeah. But go ahead, Linga. So so I think um trying to remember where I was at. Okay, so self sufficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've seen uh take this citrus industry, right? 
Mm-hmm. In Australia, we have free trade agreements with the US, especially California and Citrus. Yeah. California and Citrus throughout the early 2000s was a massive... I mean, there was fucking thousands of boats come in a year mm-hmm. that had citrus on them, and they used to go into our market. We had some of the best citrus in the world. But we Getting it from the US, right? Out. Yeah, from the yep. US. We crushed it out. People were, were knocking over um, citrus farms for just to you know just to get the money to keep alive mm-hmm. you know, because the the free trade imports took us over in addition to that if we look at canola it's all pre-sold now genetically modified pre-sold canola so they put it in it's already sold so they're in debt if it doesn't come through mm-hmm. they're also um starting to squeeze out like you talk about mum and dad farms mum and dad farms aren't going to exist in 10 years like no if you're not syndicated you're not going to exist you know and all you're living is you're living. Good old Michael's going to fix up your um, your tax um, for you, so that you feel like you're winning. But really, you're not fucking winning. You're just driving a nice green tractor, a brand new one every couple of years, you know. And you're not really winning because of the fact that, at the end of the day, you're just you're just one of the other slaves. You're just you're buying the lifestyle. That's it. That's it. You know. Well, it's, it's like it's like yes, Linga. You know, guys don't have to have a new tractors and new pickup trucks every damn year, but they do it because yep. they don't want to take a hit in the shorts over maintenance on them. And it's set up that way to keep them in debt because now they got tractor, which ain't cheap. You know, a tractor costs more than a day gone semi does in most places. Combines are yep. astronomical. Half a million dollars for some of these combines they bring through here and the to rest. harvest with. Yeah. But it's to keep them enslaved. It's, it's so that when they can't make that payment at the end of the year because they've dwindled down the, the, the grain prices or the meat prices or whatever there is going on on the farms... They shut them down. Somebody moves in there and takes it over the corporation. Now, tell me that ain't goddamn uh, capitalism. That is not capitalism. Capitalism is not taking the market to their advantage and running everybody out of business. That's a monopoly. And all these damn corporations, and I work for two of those farming corporations, they regulate what the market does even though you don't think so i've talked to those guys who were running some of those and they set the market rates so that they can run the other producers out of business that's right and once they do that they take over every damn thing and then pretty soon yeah, you're on your old family farm. The only problem is that titles to a corporation and you're just one of the workers out there slaving away for nickel and dime profit. You have nothing. And and when you look at it, I mean, it all went belly up in about 2010, maybe 2012, when Monsanto bought Bayer. Yeah. So now you got the leading wheat producer in the world. I mean, you talk about wheat, Michael. Mm-hmm. Like it's you're right. Like wheat's running the they're world. Also right? the, the, has, they're also the two biggest. They were also one, yep. two of the biggest uh, chemical corporations at the time. 
but that's working the thing, right? GMO so and all the shit that had to be going into cattle and into the grains. That's right, man. So what they've done is they've produced genetically modified wheat, or what we we know is in Australia is glyphosate ready wheat, Roundup ready wheat. Mm-hmm. So to buy crop, you need to be in on that. I mean, they've had seed cleaning prosecutions throughout the US for God knows how long. There was only a handful of seed cleaners left in the wheat industry because they got yeah. fucking taken to jail. You know, because no one wanted them to retain their own seed because you need to buy the Roundup Ready. The Roundup Ready means you're going to be relying on the chemical. Mm-hmm. Once you're relying on the chemical, apart from the fact it's fucking killing everyone, Australia is one of the only countries in the world that has not banned glyphosate. Glyphosate is banned in every other country in the world. I mean, we produce something like 20% of America. the world's wheat. Yeah. But, but, yeah. uh, but Australia has done a good job in banning other ingredients to foods that has made it healthier too. Like what? I don't know, but I know the food fucking tastes differently, and I know that there are certain regulations on, on imports there that you're not allowed to have, that you're allowed to have ingredient-wise that you, we can have here in the U.S. Hey, Linga, you know a 22 is better for killing those big-ass spiders y'all got, right? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just start yeah, shooting. Tennis <laughs> racket. Just, just <laughs> uh, no, no, i got to clean all the leaves up. <laughs> all right, man. you got to yeah. get a permit to hunt those spiders over in Australia. They're so fucking big. <laughs> That that's a good hell. The, the spiders in Australia would be a good substitute for the cattle. Um, which is shocking. That's what they're you, wanting to do: get to eating bugs and shit. Oh man, that's eating those spiders too, man. If that if it came down to that, legs off of if it came down to that, Australia would be well fed. Let me tell you, <laughs> they would be well yep. fed. It would be hurting buffalo spider legs. Yeah, funnel <laughs> web spiders. Jesus. <laughs> uh, but no. It, it, it's all set. It's all set to collapse, Mike. Because we're so far in debt, we'll never see the bottom. We'll, we'll never go back into the black. We're constantly staying the red as long as the twelve families are ahead of everything. And if anybody wants to deny that, then they're not looking at the whole picture. They're only looking at the picture part that they want to see, of the nice little shiny spots. But the whole damn picture is dark as hell, man. And if we don't root them out, the world and out of our country, we will be no less than China because we will be the slaves and have shit for nothing. Mm -hmm. We won't own a damn thing and you'll be relying on the government for the clothes on your back when they're so ragged you can't keep sunburns off. Then they'll they'll say, no, you're not quite red enough. Let's wait a couple weeks. Um, That's what they want to do. And I want to transition to what you brought up earlier because I do want to talk about the the currency. The um, um, that's not crypto. It it is a form of crypto, but the digital currency. Yeah. Which, by the way, what they're looking at doing, to my understanding, I read the executive order. It's not going to Bitcoin. It's not. They're going to make their own. So it's like having, you know, our own U.S. dollar still. It's still sovereign. It's just in a digital form. They're, they want to be go to a cashless society. This is nothing new, though, this idea, because before COVID and into COVID, remember when COVID first started and they wouldn't accept cash for risk of uh, transmitting the virus, a lot of people thought, like, well, I think this is where it's going to go. But when you're in Australia, by the way, maybe Linga, Linga can back this up, cash, while still being used, is not as popular as it is here in the U.S. Australia actually... I'll give them credit. They may not 
uh, B is like totally they are advanced. That. Huh? I totally support that. We have got caches becoming way less popular. Yeah. Well, so when I go over there, I remember uh, the tap. Some of you guys may know now, but you know, you go and you use the tap on your uh, credit card. I never heard of that. Again, I worked in the finance industry. Never heard of that. And so I went to Australia and the, the lady's like, oh, you got a card? Just tap it. And I'm like, what? Yeah, just tap it. Uh, I, so yeah. I tapped it feeling like a fucking idiot. And it didn't work, obviously, because the card wasn't set up for that. So I had to use it how you normally use it. And then um, I was using like a, a credit card, American Express or something else. And they, I had to sign, you know, after I used the card. And the the one lady, I remember a couple people were like, wait, what? You gotta, it's asking me to, you to sign. Like they had yeah. no idea. Yeah. Like they were so far ahead when it came to that. No, we're not. We're fucking slaves. You think it? No, That's no. When it I is, say man. so far ahead, I'm talking about you were using that before. Like that tap thing, I think people are, still don't really use yeah. it. It's starting to become something here in the U.S. Really? We're doing it on our phones, yeah. watches. People, yeah. The banks give you a ring. The banks yeah. give you a pay ring. Well, here's the other thing. Like Only until recently were you able to, to transfer money immediately here in the U.S. from accounts using certain systems. In, the, in Australia, you were able to yeah. do that shit no matter what. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Keep the drug industry going. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, regardless, it. It, just, it, was, it was funny to see that because you would, you would think that, especially when you're over in Australia, you would never think this, right? You would imagine that us, as, as much as we buy shit here, as transactional as we are, we would have had a far smoother uh, way of doing things, but they were actually ahead of all that. You know, but they, they um, Brit uses cash. So Brit, she just likes the cash, but that's not popular. Like there's certain places, I think, even when I was there before COVID, that they weren't really happy about accepting cash. And I don't even think they, a lot of them carried enough change to break the money you were trying to give the thing, them. The thing you have to re- think about, Mike, about cashless society mm-hmm. okay they can shut it off at any exactly. damn time they decide to screw with you if you don't well, they, have it in your hand you don't own it exactly and that's what i was going to get at right is cash gives you a little bit of a of freedom because yeah they can't track it for one um and if something happens right if power's out like I'm in, in, I went through Hurricane Irma, right? In Florida, you're down there, no power. Yeah, grid down. Some places may have a generator. You go use your credit card, but for the most part, it's it's cash. They want to take cash, and that is you can't. What the fuck are you gonna do? Think about it. how many hurricanes hit the United States every year? At least <laughs> three or four major least, ones, like yeah. that are that are you know that. And then however many storms throughout the entire uh, year. Does the South yeah, thunder, have uh, you can have a tornado wipe out a bank yeah. you or know, snow the, or the grid? Yeah. Well, just it's not so much the bank though; it's it's the power, right? It, that it, that's like the main thing. Other, there's other so things that they can can't make the they can't make electronic trans uh, transactions oh. without the power. You know? Yeah, let, me, let mean, me give you an your, example. Your bank card is screwed. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Linga. Up where up where Brits from? Mm-hmm. Um. I went into that area just while it had flooded. Yeah. So there was no there was no power. There's still no power. Six weeks later, they still haven't got the power back on up there um, yeah. in some of the places. But in those first two days, when the power went out, cash was king. Like mm-hmm. you could buy you could buy whatever you wanted for the tiniest bit of cash because mm-hmm. everyone was lining up at the ATMs and couldn't get any because the 
when they did get them in, the mobile ones, they ran out of money within the first 10 minutes. Like the first person to take, you know, a thousand bucks and the next 10 in line would do the same and then there was nothing left. So that's the first thing that happened. And then also in addition to that, because there's no connectivity, because all the, all the towers burnt down, I mean, got flooded or affected by power, there was no tapping either. So people, believe it or not, this is a cool thing. This will give you a little bit of hope, raccoon, you sad fuck. Um, <laughs> this barter. <laughs> yeah, that's what people were doing, man. Yeah. They were bartering. Yeah. And you know what? They were actually bartering proper goods and services. Like mm-hmm. someone said, yeah. I'll lend you my chainsaw or I'll come and clean up these trees for you. Can you make me yeah. dinner for my, my street? Mm-hmm. And people started. That and you know what? Times. Despite all of the shit things that are going on in the world, mm-hmm. when it really goes to shit, the one thing that the people who think, and I'm talking about this uh, sort of philosophically, anyone who thinks they can control a system, you cannot control the amount of goodwill in the system. Okay, well, I've and seen that way more hand. goodwill. Yeah. You're 100 yeah. right. When when Irma hit Naples, right, and power was out for a month, uh, I I said this, you know, because Naples is an area where you have literally the top one percent, not just the one percent, but the 0.01 percent that live there, and then you have the, you know, bottom 99 percent. So it goes from literally the extreme that lives in a pretty close proximity, and when something like that happens. Everyone stands in line the same for water. They, it doesn't matter how fucking much money you got. Nothing. All right? There ain't no poor people or rich people when it comes to a disaster like that that takes away all of your necessities and the means of getting it, it. You're all standing in the same line. Everyone's helping out. It's amazing how people do come together in a disaster area like that. That's because they have no choice, Mike. But if they even had the still, choice, it wouldn't be there, you know? But even still... It's amazing when you see how many corporations, right, that we do give a hard time to that, that go and pitch in to help out when they can. And then, but it also gives you a good idea of the ones that won't fucking do it. And I, you see that too. McDonald's, I respect look McDonald's. Look at FEMA. Look, look at FEMA, Mike. When, when, when they go on the, the hurricane, wiped out New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Look at all the damn trailers that couldn't get there because there was no. No way to get them there. They had all this shit that they had bought and said, okay, we're sending it down, but we're going to be delayed for six months. Oh, but that said, what I want the to hell make are a, they doing in the meantime? Yeah. You but know? that said, I want to make a, I want to make a statement here. Cause I heard this the other day on, um, whose show was it? They had the, Oh, uh, uh, WAP doesn't lie, Eric, but they had the Ukrainian woman on there. Uh, yes, the swap doesn't lie. Yes. They were asking about donating money. Do not, she confirmed this, do not fucking give any money to the American Red Cross, ever. Ever. They're the worst, most corrupt fucking organization. Let me tell you something. And it took, when Hurricane Harvey (laughs) hit, which was right before Hurricane Irma, which hit Naples, Hurricane Harvey Harvey hit Houston, obliterated that place. The amount of rain it dropped was just crazy. It was like, what, over 100 inches of rain in a week. Uh, And a a senator, I think it was, in, in... Texas said the same thing. I never thought about this, but I've been in uh, Hurricane Wilma, Hurricane Irma, which was a really bad one. Seeing Charlie, I, like how, growing up, I was, you know, hurricanes all around. I've never once seen an American Red Cross fucking building, van, blanket, nothing ever. And every year you talk, you hear about how you got to give blood to the American Red Cross, give 
food to the American Red Cross. Donate money to the American Red Cross. They're helping out over in Ukraine. The American Red Cross has never been fucking seen by anyone's two eyes in a disaster zone ever, and I'll bet on that. It's the most the Red Can Cross, I speak on that? The Red Can I speak Cross on that, buddy? was, was yeah. filtering money. The Red Cross was filtering money to World War II to get Dagon German soldiers out of the Dagon European theater, too. I wouldn't doubt it. Go ahead, So Lincoln. was the Vatican. So was the Vatican. So, now, so my, my dad, well, hold on a minute. My dad had a good yep. saying. He said, he said, you have a, a natural disaster. You have a, a, a church is sitting there saying, come on over here, we'll feed you. And another uh, group of people said, come on over here, we'll, we'll give you, uh, we'll get you a bath and some new clothes. Mm-hmm. Then the last one is the Red Cross. They said, you know, if you can talk to them people out of a buck fifty, we'll give you a cup of coffee and a donut. <laughs> yeah. Can I? Go, I got to speak ahead. against that because yeah. I've. I've been working pretty closely with Red Cross in the last mm-hmm. few months. Mm-hmm. I've seen it firsthand. I think, um, you know, I, 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 I used to think exactly the same as far as that rhetoric goes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was piecemeal or not, but I actually saw them hand out $500 to each individual that walked through the door that mm-hmm. was direct cash. Um, I saw them do that for a full day mm-hmm. with 300 people in about 10 or 12 centres do it. So mm-hmm. they gave out quite a bit of cash. You do the do the maths on that. You know, it's about twelve, hey, Lincoln, and a lot of that could be the country you're in too. That that regulates. Yeah, hang on that. a sec. I just hey, want to say that. You... Yeah, go. Lincoln, can, can, can I throw something in there for you real quick? Do you know how much the head of Red Cross makes a year? Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's this is seven hundred and fifty thousand yeah, dollars a year plus expenses, and it's a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know why they don't have a profit? Though. They're stealing the money. That's why they don't have a profit. It is a big organization. You're right, Lane. But uh, I mean, almost a million dollars a year for a nonprofit. You know, and I know it's big, but and I get it. Like I said, it's probably a lot to do with the country that is regulating it. Uh, but here in the U.S., you, I've never ever seen it. And then the, the girl in Ukraine also said the same thing. Uh, Australia, I would imagine, just from other things I've seen, they're very regulatory. So I imagine they're going to be strict with that. Uh, so there's probably factors yeah. that go into it, but I can tell you right now, I'm never put given a, a dime to the American Red Cross. They never helped anyone <laughs> I've seen here in the U S and I've been, I've been, I've been in multiple disaster zones, especially with Irma, which was a severe disaster zone. Uh, you know, like that was a direct impact from a category four storm. Uh, and FEMA, you, you'll talk to FEMA, even though that's a whole other problem, right? You've seen other organizations. Hell, Trump came down and yeah. served lunch to people, but the American Red Cross has never been seen in, in the city of Naples or anywhere else I've been where there's been a disaster. So that's just my two cents on it. Uh, you know, and here, I do here were that, the slaves. Thank, They're not thanks going for to having me. Us, Mike. No, thanks, Linga. Uh, we're about Thanks. to end in two minutes. All right, yeah, I just got the warning. I'm just letting okay. you know, but you can go ahead. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I would rather give money to somebody locally straight out of my pocket mm-hmm. than to give it to an organization that says they're going to give two cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Because when they say that only, it's like giving to a, a PETA. Yeah. Peter kills more fucking animals in a slaughterhouse. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Every uh, year. 
now Pook St. Jude though, I know he's making a lot of money, but they I believe St. Jude's actually very good about uh the help they give the, the children. It's also it's also Masonic. What St. Jude? It's ran by yeah, it's ran oh. by the Dagon uh the Shriners. Well, I don't know anything about that, but I know that they do a very good job in, in taking Look that money up. and caring for the kids. So I don't care who runs it. They're caring for the kids. It well, matter. yeah, but they only get a certain percentage of it. Yeah. They only get a small percentage of it, Mike. Mm-hmm. And those uh, kids have to be chosen for that treatment. They, they, they just can't drop off your kid and say, my kid's got cancer. Take care of him. He has to meet certain criteria, like being in the last stages, so they can draw extra money from the government mm-hmm. and from their organizations that are helping support them that unwittingly don't realize that that money's being filtered off. Mm-hmm. We're I mean, about to get good. I, I'm just letting you know we're okay, about to get cut off. So we got less than a minute. So I'm, well, thanks for having me on and not banning me, Mike. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> But I'll be on uh, tomorrow again, (laughs) 6. And, yeah, thanks, everyone, for joining.